say good morning good morning yeah oh luciferian that's a good one but you didn't you didn't capitalize that one so i can't use it darn it he's broken the sacred oath and he didn't capitalize the word so i can't write it down what are we gonna do let's see here we got this yeah 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 good morning thank you for being here look at you guys look at this great witness gals uh, there's, there's animals here too. There's probably a dog or cat or two listening. Probably right now. The cat's like licking its nuts. Sometimes there's a cat licking where his nuts used to be. Some halves with dogs too. And right now it's like looking up. It's like someone's talking about me. And he looks up at the screen and he sees me. Hey, hey buddy. Good boy. You're a good boy. You are a good boy. You, this just in. Do, 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 do. This just in from the canine News Network, you are a good boy. You're a good boy. You are such a good boy. I just had to get that out. You're not muted, right? Okay, good. And you mean that. You don't mean... Oh, oh, oh he, he, he typed it in capitalized. You realize, Fun and Roland, that because you typed that word in all caps, it means that you signed a sacred contract with your soul? that luciferian has the word iron in it right in the middle of luciferian is the word iron iron lucy rian yeah whatever that means so we got look look at sorry look at all these look at all these words look at all these words words here's your words we're gonna define these words and uh yeah that's what we're gonna do so uh in order for me to do this right 666 that's technically all capitals i'm not going to define moist to puma how dare you moist you know i actually don't never had a problem with the word moist remember how it was like hip to be like oh i hate the word moist don't say the word moist it's like chalkboard it's like it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. Don't say the word moist. Do you remember that? Does anyone remember that? Because uh, that was a thing for a while. And the whole time I'm like, what's wrong with moist? Moist cake. I think of cake. I think of a moist German chocolate cake. What, why is that a problem? Who? Step up, right? Tell me, tell me who has a problem with this. So you guys would have told me now if I was actually muted, right? Because the fact that she said I'm not muted made me think maybe because it was all capitals that maybe it was like a secret thing. But anyway, so yeah, moisture. Yeah, you're, you're moist. Really, what does moisture mean? But just, hey, man, you're moist. And hey, I spent most of my life learning to make half of you moist. Just saying. It's interesting, isn't it? That the electrical conduit difference between uh, between man and woman, right? The goal of man is to make woman moist. The goal, you know what I mean, as far as when it comes to courting, right? I'm not saying that's their entire goal. Although, seriously, if you had to pick a goal in life, if that goal in life was to make 
make half the population moist, there is nothing wrong with that goal. There, there really isn't. But, but it's interesting that half the population, ha in order to, uh, to live the illusion of everlasting life, and I don't mean I, I, the illusion, not illusion, the illusion of, of everlasting life. I should put illusion in here, damn it. Uh, I'm going to put hallucination in here. Hallow. Sinian. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah. Half of us are trying to make the other half moist, and the other half are trying to make the other half hard. Has anyone noticed that? How is this not a bakery? How is this whole place not just a a bakery? A sex bakery. Of like, yes, you've the perfect French bread is hard on the outside, crispy, collapsing yet firm with a flakiness that, that still proves itself itself uh, taunt in the stretch of war but inside is the soft moist nay nay salty moist this man this is never really looked at it this way moist and hard moist and hard moist and hard let's see Moist and hard, that's what we are. Everyone's gonna get moist and hard. Okay, so we should probably get to defining these terms. I'm gonna uh, get started. If you guys have more, I'm gonna ask you to type them in in all caps. Uh, also, I'm gonna ask if, um, if, if one of you guys doesn't mind, Okay, Benny Riley is typing in all caps. Hi, everybody. Thanks for being here. Someone beat beat Benny Riley behind. I'm just kidding. We're making a joke, Benny, about the all capital words there. Uh, but but yeah, uh, flow state. There's a good one. There's a good one. Flow state. Sometimes I'm only in Flow County. And sometimes I make it all the way to flow state. Oh, oh! I'm going to ask if, please, uh, Mered Moth, because of the way I'm, I'm set up today to do these words with my little chalkboard here, if, if you see any uh, words on Rockfin, can you uh, bring them over and, and put them in here? So I, I, if, you, if you find it worthy, okay, Hugh wants me to define haha. Um, guys, I don't know how else to say this. If you're going to type it in all capitals, it means you don't want me to define the word. Okay, it's going to really slow us down. All right. So remember, just try and remember. You know, I'm kidding, right? Okay, I'm going to uh, tip this up a little bit. How y'all's doing? Thanks for being here. Thanks for being here on James Drew Live. It's really good to see you guys. This is my 400th episode. Can you believe that? 400 live streams today. It's actually been more. Some of them I don't count. If I if I think it really really stinks, it 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 it, uh, it doesn't count. Um. So yeah, four hundred. That's a big one. Oh man, that's a good one. Side boob. Oh geez, that's a good one. Okay, we're gonna have to do these in a speed round if these keep if these good ones keep coming up. Oh god, side boob is so great. Moist and hard. Moist and hard. I would say that the entire uh, birth of side boob came in in a in a premonition of how, how to make someone hard. Compassion eight. Oh, that's a good one too. Okay. 
instead of writing these down, I should probably just say them, but I'll miss them. So it's probably better this way. And it builds up a little bit of suspense, right? Suspensers, building up suspensers, right? Light oscillating vibration. Okay, Benny Riley has just gone way off the ranch here. Someone needs to, someone needs to do something about Benny Riley. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, uh, we will get started. We will get started right after I drink some water. Lighting round. Uh, four seconds on the clock, please. I'd like to begin this round. What are the words, though? Legion James, here are the words that, that I'm going to be defining. Unless you guys add more. These came from the audience. I added a few. And the only reason why I'm doing this today, frankly, I never would have thought to have done this. I'm only doing this today because so many people say the same thing, which is, uh, oh, that's a great one, Linda. Linda said permeable. Peruable or permeable? Permeable. Permeable. I'm just going to say that because I'll know what I'll know what you mean by that. Uh, but but so many people who are new to my work, that's the first thing they say is, hey, James, I'm getting used to your vocabulary. And I'm always kind of like scratching my head because uh, I don't think that there is vocabulary. But the more people keep saying it, the more I start to realize, you know what, there's probably some vocabulary here. And I want you to know, first of all, that I don't actually redefine any words. We're going to go through, you, you test me, prune my lips. But if I go through here and if you find that I'm giving an actual different definition from the word that's actually there, then uh, uh, you, you, you tell me, you tell me what I'm changing, my, the vocabulary here that we say is actually posture. You can define a word by several ways, and that's going to be based on your posture. What is your posture at the time that you are defining it? And you're going to hate certain things sometimes. You're going to love certain things sometimes. Thank you, Marvelous Meg. Vitriol. And, and that, that, that your posture itself is going to determine literally what a word means. You do this with people. If you have a certain energetic posture, we're already defining one of the words, posture. Posture is the position that you hold your body in, and most of us take that uh, completely for granted. And if you start to understand the, the, the beauty and the calligraphy of your somatic pen, your, your, your body, your somatic calligrapher's pen, your writing instrument, that the way in which you hold your body while you're discussing something defines exactly how you see the world. And so when you change this posture, you actually change your definition of the world while you have that. And you do it on a micro level. You don't just do it with your spine. You do it with your face. Most of, most of this is seen in the face. There's a science called reflexology. And you can look more into this. But the idea of how you hold your face is directly congruent to how you define your world. And you hold your face based on what? How you've defined your world. <laughs> Isn't it funny how it works that way? That, that the way that you actually see the world is directly congruent to the way you're holding your body or your antenna. And I want you to think about this as an antenna that your body is an antenna and that your posture is directly congruent to the signal that comes in. It's no different than tuning an instrument, is it? 
There is not this rational world that exists outside. And if you eat a good diet, then you see that world and everyone else does too. I swear to you, that's not how this place works. This place is much more fluid and plasmatic. It is much more tied to the imagery of belief and that your belief is an instrument it's an instrument that opens and closes itself to the world. I'd like to define the first word now, permeable versus vulnerable. And that the way that you see the world, you are going to be open to it in a certain way, like a reef. You, are going, you need the water to bring to you not its purity, but its salt. And if it brings the right salt and if you are shaped, if the reef is shaped in a certain specific way, the body of that reef creates the nodules, the holes, the crevices, the portals for life to emerge. Those are portals. Stargates. When you hold your hand in a cup, you are a stargate. You are the vessel this is the meaning of permeable versus vulnerable. Your vesselness is going to be directly tied to your vulnerability. How open or permeable you are is going to be up to you. We are raised in a society where all of us are told being vulnerable is good. I'd like to do a TED talk about how important it is to be vulnerable. So look, you need to be vulnerable like all the time because vulnerable is the only thing that's going to set you free. The more vulnerable you are, the better you're going to be and you're going to achieve great things because you're going to be vulnerable the whole time. And it's only through that vulnerable that you really, really find yourself. And I'm telling you that's bullshit. It's bullshit because the definition of vulnerable implies an unsustainability in your life. That permeable is a better word for this, and I'm not being picky. If you think about these words, the difference of these words, what happens? Oh, your L4, right? Your different lumbar in your spine, because you're using this word versus the other word, you end up putting your spine in a certain position, boop, and now you look at yourself and see the world in a different way, and your antenna tunes a different tune, and that you are not required at all, ever, to come out of the house and be sure and be vulnerable. That that is not exactly at all even close to how this place works. In fact, if you look at nature, you will find the exact opposite. And this brings me to my second term, which is natural. And that man has a propensity to, to insist or suggest that he is capable of doing things that are unnatural. Unnatural. That he has the arrogance inside of him to insist that, well, well you're doing something unnatural. That, that, that humans have so much power that they can directly oppose God. Directly oppose, if you don't believe in God, fine. Directly oppose the Scientological God. That, 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 that dictates the mannerisms to which every single part of your life works. Every single tiny part. And it brings you back to this place of nature. And it is impossible for you to behave in an unnatural way. It is impossible. And only through seeing this world as, oh, everyone's acting unnatural... Do we miss the entire point 
of nature itself because we are assuming that man is somehow above or outside of or beyond that capacity. Which brings us to another word, evil. People get so mad. James said evil doesn't exist. Nuts. He's a Luciferian. James says evil doesn't exist. How dare he say that? And when we look up evil, it says wicked. And when we look up wicked, we see crooked. When we look up crooked, we see bent. And when we look up bent, we, we're referencing back to basically the concept of a river. And, and, and every single example of, of, of what wicked could mean is going to point to either the way a, a tree grows its branches or the way a river turns or the way a capillary is burst forth from the edge of the artery. That this tributary system that we have is somehow the only definition we have for wicked. And it turns out that that tributary system is literally how we breathe. How, 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 how I'm sorry, how we pass iron from our blood to our skin. And, and that we, this entire time we've, we've had this concept that's given us life, but somehow we decided the word evil is built on that definition. So then you try and look further, like, okay, well, if evil doesn't mean wicked, what does it mean? And you start to find these really, really stupid, stupid ideas. One of them says, I'm, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Define evil. I'm asking Google to define evil. <laughs> right now, Google's like, yes. I will define evil for you, James True. Evil, profoundly immoral. And this immoral makes us have to define moral, doesn't it? And when we define moral, what do we get? Concerned with the principles of right and wrong behavior, the goodness or badness of human behavior. Proper conduct. And it comes back to conduct. Which means that what evil is, is a definition of how people define what they think should be bad behavior. So the entire definition of evil has this Hollywood connotation. that, And there's, this is in here too. There's another definition which implies that evil is uh, of or about the satanic force. I swear that's in the dictionary somewhere. And when you, when you try and define evil, the only time you can really find the definition of evil is in Hollywood. It's the only time. Or in people that, are, that have lived in Hollywood. And what is politics? But the insistence that there's evil in the world, what are movies? The insistence of evil in the world. Right? Any kind of soapbox is going to have this idea that there's evil in the world and that we can find the evil if you give money or if you send this or if you dedicate this or if you give me your child. And that the moment that you start to embark on this evil, the word moral suddenly becomes defined by anyone who is thanked for their service. That that's the definition. That's the entire definition of moral. Is If someone thanks you for your service, you've done something moral. If someone does not thank you for your service, you have not. Which means morality is based on pleasure. It's based on pleasure and nicety. It's based on manners. 
It is. It's the societal manners that define what morality is, which means morality is what? Manners. That's why the word custom is built into the definition. There is a rumor that there's a supernatural evil force that was born into this world that is purposely uh, diabolical, and that that's the only way it can sustain itself is by its diabolicality. And when you look up diabolical, when you start to look at evil, it means to destroy one who's constantly destroying. And I'm telling you that the principle of evil itself could not be something that is sustainable. That it will tap itself out every time. But James, what about the elite? And we're going to get to the elite. It's literally on the list. The elite. It's on the list. Because the elite that we're going to talk about aren't actually the ones in charge. And that the people that we see, well, well, the diabolical evil, of course, Vlad the Impaler, James, that would easily be the most diabolical evil person I can think of. And all the dude had was a massive blood addiction. And, and did his power sustain? Well, yes, he lives in the royal family. And, and how much power does the royal family actually have? There's a difference between the elite and a thoroughbred slave. And most of us don't even know that. Some of us seem to think that Joe Biden has a lot of power when every second of Joe Biden's life is dictated by a schedule, by a regimen. And that regimen's not even defined by him. It's defined by the same people that put him in office. The most enslaved person on the planet is probably the President of the United States. Probably is. Has zero Zero freedom at all. And it, the same argument holds true when you watch the Kentucky Derby. It would be like you were watching the Kentucky Derby and you're watching those horses and you were to say, wow, look how wild and free those horses are. My God, this must be the most wild, freest horse I've ever seen. Why? Because it's on TV and look how fast he's running. And because he runs so fast, it must mean that he is free and wild. And he's not. That horse gets his butthole shaved. Does. For pictures. Gets his tail braided. Gets his hooves waxed. Right? So this idea of elite isn't necessarily what we think it is. This idea of elite really should be separated between thoroughbred and the elite are people we'd never see. We wouldn't know them. When I say we, I'm talking about the normal society that we're on the cusp of right now, that you and I are just barely hanging on. We, we only hang here so we can find each other. We're seagulls on the edge, right? We've uh, stuck our beaks through the, through the void, right? We've seen things. We can't go back to that. You know that. All right. Let me make sure you guys are still. Okay. Um, <clears throat> prana. James defined prana. Prana is uh, simply a way of, 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 I would call prana the energy of will. Life force. But but the reason why I don't like to call it life, or you can call it life, it's not that I don't like it, but, but it, it's more of the energy of will because your entire life is will. Your entire life force is this expression. The zygote, the lowest, the lowest common denominator when you were born, the very, very first time that 
the apple was exchanged in the garden of your zygote, in that very first cell, you exhibited a word, ego ami, the Greek word for I am. And that the zygote, the very first thing it did is said I am. And the very first thing it did was copy itself. It transcribed itself. And why did it transcribe itself? So it could, it could perform mitosis. And it split. And why did it transcribe itself? Because it repeated who it was. It uttered itself. It's the RNA transcription. is the uttering of self. What is the uttering of self? Ego am I. I am, I mean. I am. Greek for I am. Ego is good. Ego is your heart. Ego is your living energy. Ego is your very first cell. Your very first cell decided I exist. I transcribe myself. Literally every single time you copy yourself, all of your cells are running through the mantra, a, a literal spell, a vibrational spell happening inside of all of your cells that says, I am. And that is ego. And so I've not redefined the word ego, have I? I've changed your posture about the word ego. I'm not saying, though this word means something different. No, I'm saying your posture needs to be different when you approach this word because most of us will see, oh, well, the world would be better if people would just drop their ego and that literally the opposite is true. If more people were to embrace their ego, we would not see these kinds of eugenics programs. Advanced thought, ding, we'd actually see them, but they'd be like these weird challenges where duels are brought back in and like massive people are consensually choosing to kill each other, which is already happening now, which is a part of why this world's perfect. But most of us are not ready to accept that the world is perfect. We like to look at it as broken, so which is why I've had to put this into a sidebar that will end at the bell. Ding. So that, that would define ego, and the reason why prana, life force, is important is, is I, I need you to remember that no matter what you're doing, no matter how you're doing it, no matter where you're doing it, your posture is generating prana all the time. How you hold your posture is generating the prana of how you feel about yourself, how you feel about others in the room. So prana is not just life force. Prana is the will of your posture. That's really what it is. And if you don't start saying that word, you'll never see it. And if you don't have that word in your vocabulary, you'll never be able to tune it. The most important thing you can do in this world is name something. It's the first thing you learned as a child. You knew it naturally. You would pick up a stick and you would say, this is my gun. You would pick up your teddy bear and say, this is my Chewbacca. The naming of something is the placement of life force into a plasmic vessel, a holding vessel. Right? A little suitcase. And when you have something ha has a name, you place all of that product into that suitcase. It's sort of like a, a, a locker. And the person who identifies the most with that name, with the I am, is allowed to open that and pull the energy out. And it, this is such a basic thing that plants know it. So do dogs. You're such a good boy. You are such a good boy. That right now, th the name of your dog is used in that same capacitance. It holds that place for all that pranic energy, which is why you need the word prana. So I haven't defined that. I haven't changed the definition of that word either. Calories. If you do not understand that your emotions cost calories, you will never understand that feeling is not a free energy device. 
the sooner you learn that feeling is not a free energy device, the more you start to discern who should get your sympathy. Pizzagate's perfect example. I don't even want to throw us off here, but I want you to know that there are certain stories that have been injected, certain stories that have been injected into the media. I would say most stories that have been injected in the media for a specific purpose, and that purpose is to run a certain psychological thread through your head. A sitcom does it, an infomercial does it, a movie does it, and so too do news stories. They're just all little threads. These little threads are there to invoke the circuit because your prana, the energy of your life force, is there and they want that and they know that if they could open, if the thread can open that prana, you will give it your life force. Who is they? I am they. I'm doing it right now to you. Right now. I'm doing it. I'm saying, hey, can I have some of your prana? Hey, hey, you got some prana right there. Can I have some of that? You you done with that prana? You going to eat that prana right there? You gonna eat that prana? And right now you're like, sure, James, you can have this prana. And it's finite. It's a finite resource. And I want you to value it. I want you to understand it, which is why I use the word calorie. I'm not trying to be fancy. I'm overweight. I shouldn't even be seeing the word calories. I should be doing whatever I can to insinuate that no one here notices that I'm overweight. So why am I using the word calories? Because I fucking have to, because it's vital for you to understand how energy works. It's completely crucial. To this entire operation. You know that. That's why I use the word calories. Someone typed in initiate. Never actually. I can't recall really using that word. But to initiate would be to init. It's a computer term to start. Um, so yeah. I don't really have a different posture on that. Maybe I'm missing something. Airships. Um, <clears throat> there are airships. In the clouds we don't see. There's certain things about this world that are so uncomfortable to behold that we do not perceive them. Many of these are horrible things to see, but many of them are also so spectacular that we simply cannot behold them. You and I might render God as the sun. Why? Because to put it into the context of a single coaxial fire nuclear ball allows it to be in the room where we're more comfortable and the, the internal witness of the sun itself, burning that internal source, is the direct coaxial connection, and God seeing everything you do. Oh God, I'm so embarrassed. But yeah, He's seeing everything you do, all the time. But that is such a penetrating, difficult thing to believe that we simply can't. So I discuss airships a lot because I really want you to understand that there are airships right now in the sky and you go out and you see and you don't see them because it's too uncomfortable and it's not necessarily that that airship itself is too uncomfortable but the implications that are tied to that airship your amygdala knows that you're not ready to see this and it won't show it to you and none of this is made up look up my eye of raw stuff this deals with the word aperture which is the next word that just as I discussed that you have a posture so too do you have, uh, th th this, this relates directly to your aperture, your ability to perceive the world. Your polyvagus is a central nerve that wraps around all of your organs and it literally can squeeze these organs and, and, and constrict them. And it constricts your posture the same that your crooked posture might, might do the same. 
and that if you want to see the world more, you will dilate more of the world, and that you need to work this muscle of dilation to see more of the world. The shaman has worked this muscle more, probably through some form of psychic rape. Something has happened to them in a way that was so penetratingly dilating that they were unable to see the world as they used to anymore. Render is a good one. Am I still online? Something weird just happened. Render is a great word. Um, so your aperture, I'm not going to define it more except for just to know that there's a, your polyvagus is literally squeezing or, or opening the vessel to your consciousness, understanding more of the world. Serotonin, dopamine, and melanin are the brake, serotonin, uh, the clutch, gas, and brake of this aperture system. And it exists. It's inside you. It's, it's literally how you perceive the world. Um, render. This is why we render the world. Your occipital lobe. There's nothing in science that actually knows for sure which things comes first. The occipital lobe or the, or the eyes. There's nothing in the science, and I can prove this, that your house works the same way. If you don't know electrical stuff, this isn't going to make any sense, so just forgive me, so I'll say it as quick as I can. But your entire power can go out of your house. You can plug a generator into the wall, any wall socket on your house, any wall socket. And you can fire up that generator, and now every outlet works. And if you found this house that had a generator in the upstairs bedroom, and that that generator was plugged into the power of that house, you would think that the entire house works through the second bedroom upstairs and that all of the power comes from there. And you would have no idea the entire time. The entire time you would have no idea that that actually was not how the system was designed to work. That it just looks that it works that way due to the power outage switch. And that you would trace all those lines and you would still be convinced it would work. And every experiment you did would fucking prove that all the power comes from the second bedroom upstairs. Because that's where the generator is plugged into the wall. And because that's where it's plugged in and all the other houses are connected, it would work. And you could move that generator anywhere. But we can't move consciousness anywhere. You and I don't have the ability to do that. So we can never test what I'm telling you is the truth. And when we trace these wires down the garage and they go outside and they go to this other box and they go to this box that goes to the pole, it doesn't matter that we see that because the energy seems to come from the upstairs bedroom. And why would it not? We are living the I am. We have fired up our generator. Our generator is now running because our house is autonomous. It is conscious. It is alive, which means we are no longer receiving the signal from the umbilical cord. And your occipital lobe works the same way. You do not know that reality comes in through the eyes. None of us know that. In fact, I would argue the opposite, that reality comes in through something else that's through this pineal. I'm getting way off topic. We have a lot of words to define, but as precisely as I can say it, all of this is going to be defined by your aperture. And all of this reality is rendered to your eyes based on what your amygdala deems comfortable enough for you to see. Deer in the headlights doesn't want you freaking out. It doesn't want you turning into a fainting goat and falling over because you walked outside and your amygdala forgot to hide the fact that 
there's a giant eyeball that's staring at you the entire time. And if you were to see that in the true reality of, of what it was, you would just fucking flip out and you would never leave the house again. That's how it works. And that's why this world is rendered. This is not a simulation. This is a render. Your world is rendered based on what you can take, on the power of your muscle, right? The power of your muscle. Leaking. Next word. Leaking. Shedding. These are go under the term of, of victimhood. I use the word victimhood a lot to, to simply mean the word venting. When we offload excess energy, it will look emotionally like victimhood. I am not here to extinguish victimhood. I am here to make us aware of victimhood because when we see our own victimhood, we have a better posture for it. Be no difference than if I was to suggest, hey, did you realize that you're peeing right now? Like as you're talking to someone and as someone's talking and they're, they're literally wetting their drawers, but they don't know. In fact, if anything, they think that you spilled warm tea on their lap and they're blaming you now. Because you spilled warm tea on their lap. That is what victimhood looks like. And it looks like that because most of us do not understand that we are shedding energy. We are shedding calories. We are shedding electricity. Our, our warp core is too hot. Captain, she can't take much more. We've got to drain the warp core. Quick, let's go over here and be insulted by someone. And we go and we look to be insulted. And we hope to God, can someone please insult me? And we know exactly who to go to. We know exactly what to say. We know exactly how to manipulate the conversation into a place where they will fucking insult us because we are trying to leak energy. I swear to you, it works this way. And when you understand your true tenor and your true capacitance as you, as you relate to other people, you will watch this behavior and you will go, ah, oh my fucking God, I just saw it. Holy shit, look at what's going on. And you start to understand how intricately beautiful the human body is and it's all electrical it's all an electrical system that's running on this pranic caloric ego and it's good and the more ego the more energy you have the better person you will be so i'm not here to end leaking i'm here to make us aware of it there's a time to pee i'm not suggesting no one of us should ever pee anymore some of you are into urine therapy i would not do that to you i simply want you to be aware of when you're peeing Right? That's why I refer sometimes to this reality as a kiddie pool. And all of us are peeing in the kiddie pool. And all of us are pretending it doesn't happen as we're, as we're drinking the water and spitting it at each other. And we're laughing, going, <laughs> And we say things like, well, I didn't mean to do that. We say, well, I, did, I didn't mean to pee. And it doesn't really matter, does it? It doesn't matter. I could walk in and just punch you in the face and say, well, I didn't mean to do that. It wouldn't really matter. It really wouldn't matter. And the reason why we say things like I didn't mean to is because we're trying to establish this false reality where we do things accidentally. Because if we can do things accidentally, it would be the same as being able to look at God and say, oh my God, that's not a fucking giant eye. It's just a giant fiery ball that has no consciousness at all. That can't see a thing I'm doing, which is why I'm picking my nose and peeing on myself. Right? So understanding our posture... Some of us are born directly in the morning in victimhood. Why? Because we want to shed less. When you go on welfare, you start to say, I have disability. I have disability. And you literally start to tell people, I can't work because I will lose my disability. And why? They have learned and found a way to vent and shed and victimize themselves enough to profit. And most of the world works this way. Most of us will be penalized when we 
stand up. Most of us will be rewarded when we sit down. Bioregionalism is a great word. Thank you. There is leaking and victimhood. I run out of places to type. Bioregionalism is the idea that... Uh, Bioregionalism is the idea that instead of having a top-down government, uh, that instead we would percolate government up from the soil. The Iroquois Confederacy was the first, or not the first, but probably or in our known history, the, the first and longest-lasting bioregional form of government. And we live in a top-down system, but bioregionalism would be the bottom-up. It would be percolated up through unanimous consent. I'm glad I could find that. Capacitor is an electrical term, I, same definition. If you look up what a capacitor is, it's one of those tubes, if you're not familiar with it, it's like a little cylinder, and it's just wrapped paper. And the paper is wrapped, it has two sides, and it's separated. So having two sides with a separation there allows an, some kind of, I think alkaline might be the word here I want to use, but basically you're setting up where half of the one side of, of that paper that's wrapped up is the anode, the other side is the cathode. And at any point in time, you can literally store this thing on a shelf, these capacitors for months, years even, and pull them down later and, and pull that, and that charge is still there. It's just waiting. And so a capacitor, you, you are full of capacitance. Most of your hips are capacitors. People don't know this, but if you ask anyone who does yoga, you'll know that they're, if they're like teaching, I mean, ask a yoga instructor, and they'll tell you that whenever they go through certain hip exercises, a lot of the room starts crying. Why? Because the capacitor for this, these emotional capacitors are stored in your body. And one of the ways you will find them is in your hips. It's part of the reason why the skull and bones choose the femur bones. What did you just say? What, 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 James, go back. What did you just say? Yeah. Skull and bones. Think about why those bones. Why would you want the skull and those bones and the hips, right? And the femurs. Why? Look, look up the yoga thing. Look it up. Look it up. I dare you. I dare you. Go ahead. Look it up. Luciferian. Uh, Luciferian is a word that we, it's the modern day word for witch. Uh, which used to mean all the bad problems in our life can be assigned to one person. And if we pick out this person and pick the best one, we can literally touch them with our sin and blame them for everything. And that's what a Luciferian is. And so most of your flat earthers are like, oh, the Luciferians are lying to us, and they're just, they're just witches. They're just witch hunters. That's all they are. It's just the witch hunters. And you, anytime you see someone say Luciferian agenda, they're talking about witches. They're like, let's find a witch and burn it. This is at the heart of Zionism. So what is a Luciferian? The one who attracts the torches. Who, who attracts the torches? The, the monster, of course. And what does it take to be a monster? Not much. Literally a scapegoat is a monster. A literal goat can be chosen as a monster. That scapegoat, the definition of the scapegoat, is uh, literally the only way Lucifer himself, Jesus himself, transmutes himself, alchemizes what everyone is doing to him. The village came to burn. The village of Rome, the Sadducees and the Pharisees said, Jesus is a Luciferian. I swear to God, that's what it was. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were insisting that Jesus was a Luciferian and we had to kill him. And so they did. And it made everyone feel better. Now, you might think, oh, that's a sad story. It's not. Why is it not? Because it's the alchemical, symbolical representation of this life, of this world. 
And when you can embrace the term Luciferian as your own, you have come through the fire. You've been reborn. You have been in the coffin. (laughs) You've come out the other side. And you've understood that there's a different posture that's required in this world and that you're not going to be able to get by insisting that we can pick one of us to be our scapegoat and push him off a cliff. And right now, we can't call them witches anymore because it doesn't hold the same kind of thing, so we call them Luciferian. So that's what Luciferian is. 666, that's a capacitor. The number someone asked me to define 666, that's the capacitor. That's the, the number of carbon. You were carbon-based life form. The fact that, that most people or truthers have declared to hate the word 666 is because they hate the ego. They hate the self. So it would be natural for them to hate the word 666. You can tap into the power of 666 by not hating it. You can be McDonald's and look at your ticket and it says, oh, your order number 666. And instead of freaking out, you can feel like you just won the lottery. You can feel like, wow, I'm the full representative of a man. Holy shit, why well, I'm at McDonald's, right? It doesn't matter because you still found that magic there. And as everyone else sees 666 and they're like, oh my God, who has 666? They're looking at you. They're literally filling your capacitor. They're like, how can you hold that much energy? Look how proud he holds that 666. That's why that number is so important. That's why it has to be hated. The fact that the same people that want to push innocent people off the cliff and call them Luciferian are hating the number 666 are the same people that are hating the ego, they're hating their body, they're hating themselves. Hallucination. Everything that that is talked about in psychology today refers to things that are hallucinations, and that's actually not the definition of hallucination. The definition of hallucination is to have a random stream of, of impulses that have no meaning whatsoever. But when we look at psychiatric patients that have, quote, hallucinations, they're having lucid visions of reality that you and I do not see. It doesn't fit the definition of hallucination. Hallucination would be goat changed to uh, phone, changed to chest piece, changed to light socket, changed to light bulb, changed to guitar strap, changed to blah, 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 piece of soap, blah, 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 blah. No, we're having people that are like, well, I saw a saucer. I saw a Sasquatch. I saw a shadow figure that told me to drive to Oregon, and if I went to a park and asked for a guy named Reggie, I could literally get meth. And guess what? He goes to a park he's never been to, goes goes there, asks for a guy named Reggie, and Reggie has meth. That's not a hallucination. That's reality, and it goes back to the aperture. So whoever asked me to find that, thank you. Flow state. Flow state is when you become a verb. You cease to be a noun, and you become a verb. When you're in a state of verb, you have no noun. You have no identity, you are action, you are pure action. So you do have an identity, but you identify with the action itself. Most of your time in flow state, there is no time. It sucks. <laughs> it sucks because it goes so fast. If you're living your life correctly, if you are approaching your somatic airship, if you are a, a budding butterfly that's building a cocoon that will turn into an airship, and you will do this through finding flow state, through watching when you vent, through having the best posture for understanding evil, capacitor, luciferian, 666, calories, prana, initiate airships, elite versus ego, ego, aperture, nature, render, permeable, and all those things, you will literally become an airship, and levity will take you out of this kiddie pool. And that will only be found in flow state. As you find more flow state in your life, you are starting to begin this nuclear process. Just as the upstairs room suddenly plugged in a generator, and now the entire house is powered not by a power plant that's outside of itself, i.e. the mother, but is actually powered by the upstairs bedroom. Your flow state is that turbine starting up. Side boob, one of the most beautiful inventions in the world. See their conversation about moist and hard. 
the two uh, fluxes of the universe, the alchemical process itself. What is anode and cathode, but moist and hard, right? Compassionate. When you see me write this word, it looks like compassionate. And so you might think, oh, well, compassion is an adjective. It's describing the character of someone who's, who's showing compassion. This is probably the only word I actually have changed the definition of because I need it to be a verb, compassionate. So I haven't actually changed the definition, but I've added the verbal meaning to it. And I'm telling you that most of the time you need to think about compassionate as a verb. It is an action. Compassion is not consent. You are not compassionating someone in order to approve of their actions. You are compassionating someone in order to render a simulation of them inside your world, the exact same way you render your own world. You can do with anyone else in the world. Bing, there's a bonus credit. You can do this with anyone. And you can passionate someone only through having more electricity. Where do you get this electricity? I.e. by not leaking. The more electricity that you hold, the more you're capable of holding, the more you can spend to compassionate someone. When you can out-compassionate someone, you literally can see the future before they can. They will call you a seer. They will call you a, a weird specter. They will accuse you of things because they think that you know the future, which means that you are somehow underhandedly pulling the strings. I'm not kidding here. That is how powerful compassioning, compassionating the engine of compassionating is. You will outperform perform every opponent on the mat. When I say opponent, that's another definition that I changed the word of. This goes back to the idea that this world is a dojo. It's a training ground. We bow to our opponent. The opponent doesn't have to be a person. The opponent could literally be any instrument on the dojo floor that's giving you vitriol. This entire world's a dojo. It is full of instruments. Some of them are people. Some of those people are such an instrument, we call them tools, and that they are here to give you dojo. Dojo is your training ground where you learn to harbor, hold, harness, and invoke electricity, calories, or prana. So there's your dojo. All of these things happen through vitriol. The alchemical uh, anagram of vitriol is... Uh, <clears throat> Sorry, I, wanna, I want you guys to have it on the stream. Verit, it's like, you know, it's Latin. And uh, it's, uh, it's like these Latin, let me see. Um, wow, I didn't know that. It's small glass in Latin. Vitriolus means small glass, but it 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 uh, means to, basically to go into the where is it? But it's to go into the mountains, to, to go deep in the mountains of the earth, and uh, and find and strike gold. But it's here it is. Sorry about that. It is uh, the word vitriol uh, stands for um, visita interiore terre rectificando invenis. Occultum lapidum. I'm sure I've abused the pronunciation, but but and I'm about to abuse the definition, so prove my lips. But visita, visit, interiore, the interior, terra of the earth, right? Rectify, rectificando, rectify, uh, in, in venice, occultum. So we, lapidum, what does in venice, in venice mean? Um, you know, I'm going to let you guys look that up. Invenes. But that's vitriol. It's the oldest alchemical uh, spell. 
the idea that the alchemists were trying to turn lead to gold is is the symbol of, of you. You were led here to to become gold. You were here to learn to hold the right posture to literally convert all of this lead into gold. You're an alchemical engine, and vitriol is the language that you use to get there. You see. Ooh, vectored will. Damn, that's a good one too. Okay, that's vectored will. Uh, okay, so people get so mad when I say this term because they're like, "Why are you trying to be fancy?" But uh, uh, vectored will is is uh, really really important. So in three D space, when you when you do a ray cast, first of all, you build your your three D model and then you put light in it. It's weird, but you don't actually see the world. You you first have to build the world, then you put light in it. There, you'll only see where the light shines, right? And so you do a ray cast. And so you take a light source, and, and from that light source, the ray cast literally casts vectored angles from the origin point. And so the source has a light, and what happens is the math literally says, I'm a vectored angle, I'm a vectored will, heading at 180 knots, right? Or uh, heading 329er that you'd hear on TV, but it's a 360 degree directional. It's not just a simple 2D, right? And that vectored will leaving the light source is going and, and it's bouncing and it's hitting something in the world. And when it hits something, it changes the shade of that shape. It, it asks the object, hey, what color is this wall? And the object says, I'm green. And the light's like, oh, well, now you're a little bit lighter green. And it literally burns that green into the surface. And you render it on the wall in your Plato's cave. You render it there and you see it there. So this vector will, it's vectored light. I'm, just, I'm sorry, I'm just defining vectored right now. That's light that's on a vector. And it just means a, a, a direction. I mean, but you can't really say direction because it, it's a movable vector, a movable direction. It's an orientational movement. That's probably the best way. Now that's the word vector. So that's why I use the word vector. Because it's aimed in a certain direction. And once that leaves the light source, it kind of has its own built-in uh, vector direction to it. It's only going to be going in this one direction. Okay? That's all it can do. Vectored will is the same concept, but instead of light, you're using will. And when you say vectored will, if you, if you drop something and you're like, shies and threaten, and you, 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 you curse... You're vectoring all this will out of your mouth. And you know this because if you happen to be, if, if you curse and you're in front of someone that, 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 that's important to you, you may apologize. Why are you apologizing? Why? It's just words. And the reason why you're apologizing is because that curse had a vectored will to it. And that vectored will was energy. And that energy was felt by people in the room, just like light casting. And just like light cannot get through certain doors, so too does your vectored will not able to permeate certain surfaces, right? If your vectored will is being expressed through your voice, then anywhere audibly would only, only perceive that vectored will. So vectored will is the placing of prana, of pranic energy, like a photon, inside a direction like a crossbow bolt and shooting it. And once you shoot that vectored will, it's left the gun, it's left you, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's why it's important to understand its vector will. We're able to take our will and send it out. And even though it's outside of our body, it has the full force and power as if it was us, as if it was inside of us.
So when we understand that there's vector will, we understand that you can leave your will in the room. You can output and vector that will in the room, and it will stay in the room for a while. It will linger, even though you've left, which is why it's such an important word to understand. Because now you understand that this pranic energy, this life force, these calories, that whatever word you want to use to describe this energy that we cannot see, that we can only perceive, is there regardless of if you're in the room. And when you understand that, you start to understand that you're your intentions kind of go out the window at this point because you're simply a witness cannon. And everywhere you turn, you're, you're outputting vectored will, and you can't even really help that. It's like you're always throwing up, but you get to pick, on, pick who you're going to throw up on. If you can imagine that. I was in Pizza Hut once as a, as a boy. I ate the spaghetti way too fast, and I... I threw it up. It landed right in the bowl. It looked really neat. It was just cut smaller. It was, <laughs> it was like I performed some sort of Cuisinart thing. I thought it was more impressive than everyone else at the table. But it's kind of like that. Um, Zetetic. Zetetic uh, is a word that means of or pertaining to the senses, to see the world of or pertaining to the senses. I do not believe what NASA has told me about the world. I believe that Halton Arp has an interesting point at the 300 plus uh, galaxies that he's found in his uh, collection of peculiar galaxies that disprove redshift. I do believe that there are certain things about the sun and about reality and about us and about consciousness that because of our aperture, because of our limitations to see, we're simply not able to perceive them. And science has no way of touching or tangibly experimenting with those things. And so therefore they're just left out. And this brings me back to the word zetetic. It's an old word. If you look at the history of this word, it was used much more in the 19th century, late 19th century, early 20th century. And it simply means uh, experientially presentable or, or seen, I'm sorry, perceived. It's, it's, it's got the word witnessed built into it. Zetetic, could, you could say that which is witnessed through your senses. And that you can build an entire world zetetically. And the only way you can build the entire world zetetically is to admit that nature is full of lies and camouflage and deception. And that's one of the most beautiful parts of nature. Most flowers are deceiving. Most plants are deceiving. Most animals are deceiving. And part of this deception is romance. Most women are deceiving. This is romance itself. There's nothing wrong about this at all. We live in a world of lies, but we want to insist that we don't. But when we can understand that, we can actually comfortably navigate ourselves in this world, understanding that it is full of lies, but we can only do that if we embrace zeteticism, which means you would have to drop everything that you've ever believed and rebuild your world from scratch. This is what Flat Earth does, and most Flat Earthers just simply cannot get out of that first room. Why? Because they want an answer. They want an answer, so they download Dave's app, and they're like, now I have an answer. I've got an answer now because I paid 99 cents for this app. But they don't have an answer. And being a zetetic means embracing the fact that you're not going to have an answer. Not only embracing it, but learning to find how powerful that is. 
Learning to find how powerful it is to be in a room with someone that is nothing but the word mystery. It's terrifying in nature. Flash Gordon went up to the stump and was challenged by that other dude to stick his hand into the stump and there was nothing inside but mystery. You and I watching Flash Gordon could see in the camera that there was some sort of deadly scorpion dude that was ready to to give him a, a lethal dose of poison. But all Flash Gordon had was mystery. That's all he had. This is the at the heart of Zetetics. It's at the heart of 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 what what is is. In fact, speaking of is, there's also what this is. And Haxity, I've always thought it was Haxity, but but it's Haxity, the this is of things. I've never actually talked about that word. Oman just typed it in for me to find, so I'll tell you. It's probably the most pretentious word I've ever heard. The way it's spelled. <laughs> and even the thisness, oh, you have thisness to it. But anyway, the, the, the viscosity, there's a new word. Instead of viscosity, there's a viscosity. Uh, Egregor, in case people don't know, most people know what Egregor is, but it's the uh, psychic spiritual conglomerate of a room or a community or a town or a group. This is why bioregionalism is so important. But uh, um, so the Egregor is that collective spirit. It's sort of personified and you can give it different characteristics, right? Like it has certain characteristics to itself. The Egregor loves American Idol. The Egregore loves two parties. The Egregore loves sugar and salt, right? This is the Egregore way of just seeing that there's a living entity that, that exists outside of you and you contribute to. And all that energy that you shed into the system is actually feeding that Egregore too. So, um, so that's Egregore. So a lot of times when you're talking to someone, a lot of people consider what's popular or hip to say is to simply be Egregoric which means they're just simply responding to what's in the egregor. Um, a lot of, uh, I would say AP and Reuters would be the central voice of the egregor. And simply because that's what, who the people uh, who we ourselves choose to listen to. I do not think that there's an external individual consciousness that's controlling this. I think it's all collectively us, all the things that we didn't intend to do, but we did anyway. That's the egregor. It's unrequited will. It's vectored will that you claim doesn't belong to you. And because you've claimed it doesn't belong to you, the egregore owns it because someone has to own it. So you bequeath it. You give it away. And it's part of what makes our world so difficult is all this unclaimed energy is masses somewhere into a giant pain body. As Eckhart Tolle, and the pain body, and the pain body will rise over the country. And once the pain body comes over the country, it will... Come through Atlanta and say, hey, I have a pain body. And in New York, people will say, oh my God, look, it's the pain body. And the pain body will be there. And, and this, this, this is basically just Igor, my impression of Eckhart Tolle. Homunculus. So uh, homunculus, uh, literally the definition of that is a smaller uh, representation of a man that's able to alter or change the larger representation of the man. And what's fascinating about that definition is when you look up homunculus inside the scientific literature or uh, 
anatomy, look up humunculus, you will see that the brain has routed all around it, kind of like on the band of my head, my headphones here on the top of my head. And it's ironic, but this band on my brain contains my uh, homunculus network, my Wi-Fi, my, uh, not my Wi-Fi, but my, uh, my network. My network of all my senses are routed into this band around my head. And in this band, they're processed in different places because it requires the electrical space to process it. The homunculus earth, I think, is necessary to understand zetetics. Why? Because zetetics says the only thing that's real is what we are sensing. Therefore, really, if we look at what reality truly is, it would be our homunculus, which would mean that reality would actually be all of this. These headphones that we're wearing is a symbol of the headphones that our brain has on. Because our brain is listening to these senses on the homunculus radio. And that homunculus radio is, is pooling a rendered version of reality that's going to fit the most uh, comfortable for our pilot in our seat who's watching it through Plato's cave. And the signal right, comes in through the pineal, processed along this homuncular band, that reality is sent back to the occipital lobe for the painters. The painters paint what that will look like. They pass it through the amygdala. The amygdala says, yes, yes, no, no, no. Take this out. Take this out. Blur this. It censors it. PG-13's that shit. And then sends it down finally into the retinal wall to paint. It controls what it censors through the secretion and the inhibition of dopamine in the eyes. It's literally how it works. Melanin and dopamine run our run most of our sensory vision, and that comes back into uh, uh, the aperture stuff. Do we do cyboob yet? Uh, I simply just declared that cyboob was one of the greatest uh, greatest inventions, and that the moist hard thing is uh, probably what what brought cyboob into the world. The capacitance of moist and hard uh, brought us cyboob, and that's uh, that's not a small feat, my friends. Something should be. Yes, yeah, very different definition for male side boob. Very different. Most of these have very different definitions. Your homunculus halo is, is quite impressive. That's right. Define Zionism. Great word, Legion. Thank you, but she didn't capitalize it. Oh, dang. I really wanted to define Zionism, but he didn't capitalize it. Man, that's too bad. I guess we'll end the show. All right, we'll see you guys later. We didn't capitalize Zionism, so I don't know what else to say, really. Mr. True's modus operandi short circuit he just jumps around from definition to definition but never stays on one topic. <laughs> oh, I love it. MJ Lyman. Mr. True's MO, modus operandi. He just jumps around from definition to definition but never stays on one topic. Obfuscate and confuse. Hilarious, because... Literally, the name of the stream was uh, the vocabulary of James True. <laughs> so we literally stayed on topic the entire time, and we wrote down all these words that you guys gave me, and I defined each one. So <laughs> I think that's great. All right, we got Zion. Almost be. Man, that was too bad. His MO was trying to harness mystery. Um... All right, so I, I, I'd rather define Zionism 
What shape is the earth, James? MJ Lyman, I think that the shape of the earth is, uh, is the shape of your body. I think the shape of the earth moves with your body. I think that your cells define, um, your cells render this world. They give it a horizon. They give it, uh, uh, they give it a sun and a moon. Every, every truth that's there is in the room. It has to be there. And so personally, I think that, that you are a one cell inside your body and that that cell is capable of rendering this entire reality in and of itself. And that, and that that cell renders itself as a shape and that that shape is as above, so below. And so you are the rendered manifestation of a single cell inside a much larger, larger organism. But James, if that much larger organism was to, was to look at you, at your cell under a microscope, what would they see? And they would see a cell. They would see what you see when you take a cell and look in the microscope. And you would say, oh my God, look at this vast world. What is that? Mitochondria? Holy shit. What is this? RNA transcription? What is this? A nucleus? What are all these things floating around? Things are coming in. Things are leaving. All of the particles and bits of things that are entering the cells, right? They pass through, they permeate through the cell walls. Those are just memories. That you're watching cells share memories. And when that cell spits out stuff and other cells embrace it, it's the same as you taking an idea I gave you and taking it into your cell. And so if you were above and you were looking at the very cell who was you, if you could actually see that, you personally would render it as a cell in a microscope. Why? Because that is your context for that. We see the world exactly in the true state that it is. We're simply rendered from a position, and there's no way to see the world without a position. This world is unfathomable without a position. See, we have this false sense that the reality is external. And when you think about notions that well, what is the the shape of the world looks like a giant, the shape of the universe is a giant eye. And if you think about how beautiful that is, which is interesting, well, what is it looking at? Because the eye would be looking out. It's like looking up. This vision of saying it's an entire eye doesn't actually make sense. What makes sense is that each cell is rendering its own universe. And when you look in a microscope, you see that universe at work. You see that living cell literally screaming, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am, over and over and over again as it transcribes itself. And so when God looks at you, he sees your cell saying, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, it's good. Good. You're a good boy. You're a good cell. You're such a good cell. Right? So that's what I think. That's me personally. Have I ever seen that? No. However, zetetically, the reason why I think it's true is because I can see what cells look like. And I know that the truth is in the room. I don't think that this world would be possible if the truth was not in the room. When you start to build your own cosmology, I want you to imagine that does your cosmology have a zipper? Does it have a seam? What does that mean? Is there a belly button to your cosmology? The belly button giving you a clue where it came from, right? Because in my opinion, if we were to suggest that the world itself would not have its seam or its belly button, then that means I don't actually see the entire world. But I believe statically that I do see the entire world, that I'm just only seeing what I'm comfortable enough to see, which is why I've reached this conclusion that I am but one cell in a larger body, 
expressing itself and rendering itself in all the detail that any cell would because the cell is teeming with this witness. It's, it's the heart and spark of life is witness. It's consciousness. It's not matter. It's consciousness. It's not even spirit because spirit is what we, we would attribute to matter that we think is moving around. It's so much beyond that. It's so much more fundamental. It's consciousness. And so our consciousness renders the intricacies of this world on demand. There's not a single computer in the world that would be like, let's render the entire dungeon engine to this guy's uh, computer all the time. And then just show him the little tiny bit. There's not a computer that could even survive doing that. It would be pointless, a waste of energy, and it would ruin the render. So what does it do? It waits for you to say where you are in the world, and then it renders that world to you. It says, well, what would the world look like to this guy at this place? And all the detail engines, all the uh, fur modules, all the vegetation modules, all the things that build in the detail would be built on the fly, on the video card, rastered and rendered at the final, on the fly, so you could see them. And that that would exactly be like what homunculus earth looks like. It would fit the same thing. So no one's typed. Yes. Thank you, Linda. Thank you, Linda. Zionism. Um, most people will think that Zionism is a certain thing, but uh, actually, if you look at deeper, if you really look at the heart of the word, so I'm not changing the definition, but I'm asking you just to look at the definition. Zionism, the belief in Zion. Zion is the promised land of perfection. Two, two points here. One promised. <laughs> okay, the fact that something is promised has a lot of pranic tentacles attached to it. There's a lot of tentacles there, right? A lot of expectations. And there's nothing in the natural world that's been promised. That There's not one bird, there's not one squirrel. Nothing gets to say, well, sorry, you can't be there, but it was promised to me. It was promised to me in a decree by, by Lord Byron who said that I get to stay here, so you have to leave. And no, that doesn't work. And when you have this concept of, of promise, you're entering into very, 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 very dangerous territory because now you have righteousness. You have the ability for that promise not to be fulfilled. And when you live under the idea that something was promised you and it was not fulfilled, you have a vengeance that's allowed to equip and let you do things. So the love of Zion is the love that A, something was promised and you get to go claim it, and B, things will be better once you do. Those are the two tenets of Zionism. Things will be better once we take what was promised to us. Things will be better once we take something that was promised to us. And both of these leave the moment. Both of them take you away from your true self and you enter into a state of vengeance and of retribution because you feel that you've been promised something it has nothing to do with anything else. This is why most Christians, most Zionism is Christianity and the Christians now that we see that say they're Christians, most of them are Zionists. And they're saying that by saying, you're going to go to hell. I'm going to go to heaven. You're going to go to hell. Or if you, don't, if you don't squirt inside a woman, you're going to go to hell. And all the other shit that comes with that, right? The calling out, the burning of witches. What is that? That's Zion. That's Zionism. It's like, look, we, we can... W things will be better 
Because this land was promised to us, we have to cleanse it of witches. Literally every crusade, every crusade happened the same thing, happened the same way. The Talmud was a uh, verbal, uh, for thousands of years, the Talmud was just the uh, verbal teachings of early Judaic thought. It came before the, the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. Um, after a while, it was written down. And uh, now people think the Talmud is a book. And it is. It's a collection of books. But really what it is is, is uh, people finally started to write down what they have. A lot of people like to say, well, the Jews are evil because I saw this video where they're talking like a lot of shit. And it's like, yeah, you're looking at the most honest people around when it comes to just showing their true self. And I think there's a beautiful treat. Uh, treat. I think if more Christians do that, we'd have a much better understanding of why we're in the in the uh, the kiddie pool that we have, because we have this notion that we are better or, or that we're there's a promise thing. All these things come from that, and so the Christians need the Jews more than the Jews need the Christians. If if the Christians weren't there defending, trying to defend the the poor, what we what they call the Zionists, which actually are not, if they weren't there to try and defend Israel, they wouldn't be able to do all the evil shit they're doing in other places. You see, it's it's only through that that allows that kind of scapegoatism to exist. So when you really start to understand what the problem is, you understand the problem is not the Jews. The problem has always been the Christians who don't know that they're actually practicing Zionism. Which means they're not actually Christians, are they? They're Zionists. And that's why in New York every year, 10,000 rabbis show up to protest Zionism. And no one tells you that. No one tells you that in the truth movement. Not a single person. To find Demiurge. Demiurge is just someone who's looking for an excuse to blame their problems on. Oh, the Demiurge. It's like retrograde. Demiurge is retrograde for uh, Gnostics. It's like saying, oh, Mercury's retrograde. It gives you this beautiful excuse, this all-powerful being that's there to take all the problems away. It's scapegoatism. That's all. Great, great, uh, great word, though. Open source the egregores. They are open source. But yeah, yeah, totally. Open source the egregores. Um, you know, it, it, if you think that the Jews rule the world, I bet if you watch Mad Max, you know, when they when they chain Mad Max to the front of the of the hood ornament and they're like driving into battle and he's she's chained to the front of it. it it's kind of like saying that that Mad Max ruled that world. And I know this is really hard to see because you put so much energy into having these this protocols of Zion or the elders or the... You've got this beautiful image of this perfect scapegoat. And what am I doing? I'm ruining for you. Which is kind of why I have to define these words, right? Um, well, good. As a day two newbie. Thank you, Monica. This is exactly what I was hoping. I was hoping that someone who's new to the show might find this to be helpful because, uh, it's a, there's a lot here to consider, you know, there's a lot here to consider. Um, Oracle, one who speaks the future. And how do you speak the future? By compassionating. You compassionate the future. That's how you speak it. That's how you speak it. All right, I'm going to sign off now because we have airship at 1230. 
And I'm really excited about that. So, um, so yeah, come to Airship. Also, uh, I have, I, I've, I have not changed the ticket price for five, five. You can still get an, I know you can still get a $99 ticket right now. And so I encourage you to, to get that ticket. Now I'm going to change it. I've got family. I mean, I've got some friends coming. I consider them family. I've got friends coming to town today. Um, I've been filming stuff all week for a new uh, video of the sarcophagus upgrade and I just haven't had time. So, and I could use the money because I need to buy a few more. I need to buy, uh, I need to buy some art supplies, guys, guys. I need, guys, I need some caulk, man. You got any, I need some, let's see. I need, uh, I need some quarter inch nails. I need some sandpaper. I need some joint compound. I need, uh, oh, I really want to get this tool chest that would just so help. So, so yeah, um, if you want to, uh, contribute to the art fund there, uh, I encourage you to buy a ticket, especially today. That would help a lot, <laughs> but if not, that's okay too. It's going to be a great show. Um, ticket sales are already way better than I expected. So, um, it's, it's already going to be a great show, but buy another ticket. I'm just saying, I'll be putting that money into some more more art supplies here so it'd be pretty cool so we look forward to that so thanks for being here benny riley thanks for taking my little uh poking at you there uh hope you enjoyed it is there a high magic i don't know i have not talked to sark yet and i have friends in town uh i'm pretty sure there probably is going to be but i haven't actually run that by sark by the way uh i have not i've have to had to upgrade my phone another reason why i'm like buy a ticket <laughs> But I had to upgrade my phone, and uh, so I normally I talk to Sark via Telegram, and Sark, just so you know, that I've, I haven't been online, but today, apparently, I think downstairs, there's a, I think the phone's here, so I should be able to get online, we'll figure that out uh, for today, for High Magic, if it's tonight, if, if it's tonight, I don't know yet, so, um, no, I, I can't get my supplies from Walmart, thank God where I live, MJ, Walmart's really far away, it takes 45 Maybe 55 minutes to find a Walmart from here. It's pretty cool. If only the magic cookies were that far away. This, uh, man. If only these magic cookies. There's this bakery. They bring magic cookies up to the, up to the top of the mountain. If only, if only they were as far away as Walmart. Um, all right, guys. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Um, did we get that link in there for the tickets? Uh, get your ticket to 5-5. It's going to be a good time. It's now a two-day event. It went from a one-day event to a two-day event, and prices did not go up. Remember, the ticket includes catered food. Catered. Be, it'll be interesting. You should come. It'll be great. See you guys next time. James, don't talk. Don't talk during the... great day. Thanks for being here.
Legion James, Legion James, please support to the main desk for your award for suggesting Zionism. Thank you.